Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza, a writer at the Leafs Nation. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing good. I mean, three points this week in three games, but I think I think you and I uh, expected four, so it's been okay, but now no games this week, so we're going to have to find something to do. It's rough. No games. Uh, I think just one win last week, and it was against the Devils, and to make matters worse, unfortunately, Theo couldn't join us today. He's on a bye week, but taking his place for our midseason report cards here is everyone's second favorite member of the Leafs Geeks podcast. He's a contributor for The Athletic. It's Ian Tullich. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing great. Theo is just a figment of my imagination. He doesn't actually exist. Uh, there's been a joke that he is the, uh, the Tyler Durden in Fight Club. And if I'm ruining that movie for you right now and you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. It's been out for, what, 20 plus years? You got to go see it. We, we figured uh, you don't do enough report cards, so we'd, we'd get you on today. Yeah, people need more grades to yell about. I want to know uh, how this Nylander one's going to go over. I'm really looking forward to it. Four stars, just right off the bat. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we saw your uh, Lilligren rating in his debut, so we know you're going to be pretty cold-blooded here. So uh, don't hold back here today. A couple F-minuses, maybe. I've gotten really good at pissing people off this year, and it's not intentional either. I'm trying to just honestly give my, my actual opinion after the game and like back it up with what I saw. But the comments in the in the on let me say that again, the comments in the the bottom of the page there are usually not very kind, and some of the replies on Twitter over the years or so over the months have been up and down throughout the course of the season. But it's been a fun ride this year. I do like having the uh, the post game article I get to do ever after every game. I feel like it's part of the eighty two season uh, eighty two game season grind. I feel like I'm kind of a part of the team just angrily responding to what I saw as a bad game by Cody Ceci or happily responding to what I saw as a great game by William Nylander, who always gets criticized in the comment section. It's great. <laughs> I know. I think I, it seems like there's never a rational opinion on Nylander these days, but uh, we're, we'll thr- we're thrilled to have you on. I think we're going to do it a bit differently here where we're going to do letter grades. So the A plus, D minus, anywhere in that range. Give an F if you want to. Um, and we're going to start, I want to start with goaltending, just because of the hot topic of the week, it seems. The Leafs have been giving up a lot of goals against. Uh, part of that has been, throughout the year, they don't they don't really have a steady backup goaltender, at least not by the numbers. And then, lately, Frederick Anderson's been a bit of a tailspin. Ian, why don't you start us off? What did you have for Frederick Anderson, in terms of his grade? So, I feel like he did really well in November and has done poorly over the last two months. I gave him a C just because I feel like he's doing worse than we would have expected coming into the year. I still think that moving forward, he's going to be what he's been over the last four years. He's going to be a top 10 goalie in the NHL, but he's been struggling over the last month and a half. So it it would be unfair to give him a, a good grade, in my opinion. I think you do need to be honest and say, this is a below average season so far for Frederick Anderson. That doesn't mean the rest of the season is going to be bad, but it hasn't been a great first half. Yeah, exactly. Nick, you yeah, I, I gave him a C plus, so kind of in the same boat there. Um, it's so tough to grade goaltenders just because of how many ups and downs, as Ian was kind of touching on there, uh, there are throughout the season. And Anderson's been one of the most consistent goalies over the past few years, so it's kind of hard to go too low on him. Like, I know some people would probably have him in the D range, but I, I had him at a C plus, and I feel comfortable with him kind of picking up his game in the second half of the season. Kevin, where did you have him? 
I had a C minus. So I mean, he's been at he's been so consistent over the years. Whether it's, a, it's like his save percentage every year, nine nineteen, nine eighteen, nine eighteen, nine seventeen. He's finally down to nine oh nine. It's weird that he's the all star this year rather than the previous years. But uh, I just find the Leafs playing style sometimes puts him in a tough spot. But uh, sometimes you need a big save. I don't know if it's workload. I don't know if it's you know, just a few, a bad stretch. And I mean, we've seen him bounce back before. Um, I don't know. And Ian, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts here going forward. Uh, I think you always have to be concerned with the goalie just because of how important the position is. But I mean, on a scale of one to 10, what would you rate your concern with, with Anderson bouncing back? My concern's at a two. And I know a lot of people are up at the 8-9 level right now after that 6-2 loss to Chicago. I know that that's not the best way to end your last game before the bye week because now everyone's going to be up in arms over the next few few games when they see Florida pass them in the standings and all of a sudden we're wondering whether or not the Leafs are going to make the playoffs. And I get it. It's, you know, it's a bit concerning times right now because the East is a lot stronger than we expected it to be, especially in the Atlantic with uh, Florida taking that next step forward especially if Bobrovsky can give them a save because they've been really good at 5-on-5. But if we're just looking at Frederick Anderson, over the last month, his save percentage is an 895. Um, Or sorry, that's since December 1st. That's over the last two months. Over the last month, it's an 881. So that's the Mm -hmm. thing. He hasn't been great lately. So that you could give him a D over the last month. You could give him a D plus over the last month and a half. It's funny. He decided to start being a bit, you know, bad since Sheldon Keefe took over. Which is, you could say it's not a coincidence and that there are more odd man rushes the team's giving up right now and that's going to impact his save percentage. And I think some of it's there, but there's also some savable shots that you'd like to see him have. And again, goaltending goes up and down over the course of a few games, over the course of a few weeks. We've even seen some goaltenders just have really bad months and they end up bouncing back. Look at Vasilevsky this year in Tampa Bay. He's looked fantastic lately, so... I'm confident that he'll bounce back because he's been good for the last five plus years and there's nothing to indicate that there's an injury or anything that'll be holding him up. But this is a bit concerning long term because it goes to show that once goaltenders age into their, you know, into their thirties, late twenties, that area, they might not be what they were in their prime. And it's starting to make a bunch of people ask whether or not Anderson is going to be the goalie that they should be re-signing at the end of his contract. I think that's a conversation more long-term because this year he's obviously going to be your starter and next year he's going to be your starter. But after that, what are the Leafs going to do in net? Because they don't have a backup they can really count on right now. And I don't know if Justin Wall is going to be the answer, but it's it's a legitimate question, I think. Yeah, I think, and it's kind of sparked the Georgiev talk and I mean I don't see the really the Leafs going that direction but uh, I guess we should get into the backup here while, while we're at it Michael Hutchison so hasn't had the best year I thought early in the year uh, they kind of fed him to the wolves a little bit with the second half of back-to-backs and against the top competition uh, I had him at a C minus I might have been a bit generous there Nick where'd you have him yeah I have him at a C I think I was pretty happy with that he's when Babcock was the coach, I felt that he was kind of thrown to the wolves. He had those back-to-backs that he had to play in, um, you know, and really the Leafs didn't play very well in front of him. And, you know, I, I couldn't give him a B or an, or an, obviously not an A just given his record and how many goals he was allowing during that stretch. But since Keefe's taken over, he's gotten a few wins under his belt. He got that big shutout, which was awesome. So he's kind of in a tough spot right now because I think... 
it's obvious that the Leafs are looking for another backup and he's kind of ha- just has to kind of play it out and, and see how hopefully that he can kind of carry them for a little bit in the games that he's given. So I gave him a C and I was, I was kind of in between on him. Wow, we're generous. Ian, did you have him in the D range? I gave him a D. I'm sorry. He's at an 885 this year. I think he's been bad. I think that there, he's been a lot better lately. I think his first six or seven starts, he was down in the 860s or 870s. It was just it was brutal. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's worked his way back up. He's played much better over the last month. But is he a goaltender that you trust to win you a game if Frederick Anderson gets hurt in the playoffs? No. And I'm not, he was never going to be that, but you look around the league and you see some of the best teams in the league. They have a backup goalie that they can legitimately trust for 30 games. Michael Hutchinson isn't that goalie. I'm not sure if the Leafs are ever going to have that goalie with the way that they clearly don't want to allocate much cap space to it. But if we're being honest, Hutchinson's been even worse than what we expected him to be. So if we're grading the full season, I gave him a D. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I was probably a bit generous just because of a bit sympathetic towards him towards the start of the year when uh, he was a player who really didn't have any confidence. And they just, like, I remember Washington on the second half of a back-to-back. I remember Boston on the second half of a back-to-back. I think they didn't have Tavares that game. Um, There were a few games where I just thought they didn't show up. Um, I mean, we could take Saturday night as an example. That was with Anderson and Nett. But I think we see it too often from the Leafs. And I think it's kind of been happening when when Hutchison's in net particularly so uh Dom had I that think... interesting article at the athletic that showed that their performance in back-to-backs was historically bad that's what my eye test would say too like there's been times where it's like yes he's given up five goals but like no one showed up and I think you look at the team right now and you're saying like why is this happening is it is it the defense is it just a lack of effort um, I mean, it's a good time to kind of go over this just because of the game on, on Saturday night. Uh, but like you said, I don't think he's an above-average backup. Uh, I mean, career save percentage is 905. I think he's probably a little bit better than I think some people think in, in Toronto right now. Um, but again, this is a guy that was in the AHL last year. I didn't think he played all that well with the Marlies last year when he was down. Um, now I'm going to put you on the spot here, Ian. Georgiev is would you give up Nylander for him and do you think the Rangers would take Nylander for him uh, Darren Drager's telling me it's not enough apparently you're gonna not need enough. to throw in some draft capital in there gonna need a Rasmus Sandin and a Timothy Lilligren oh um, god yeah, yeah, just give him Matthews while we're at it we might have to I mean maybe <laughs> if we take the the Mark's the Mark Stahl contract back I'm, I'm not sure what it would take but I'm glad we got the goalies out of the way uh definitely the toughest position I think to evaluate um, so I'm really upset with... you started there because I'm thinking, oh man, I don't even know what to do with these grades, especially Anderson, because that's a tough one because he's been bad, but I know Anderson is good. Yeah, Ian, we'll give you the option here. You want to go forwards or defense first? Let's go up front. I feel like the Leafs forwards are much better than their defense, so it, it'll be a bit more optimistic. Perfect. So I'll, I'll start with Austin Matthews. I gave him an A+. Uh, a it just remains a goal-scoring machine. I think he's a little bit better of a two-way player. Um, I don't know if the, the per minute stats are what they used to be, but he's playing way more under Keefe. Um, I think he's, I mean, I don't know if he's in the MVP conversation just because of how good guys like McDavid are, guys like McKinnon are, but, uh, he's definitely in the Rocket Richard conversation. Uh, he's put the team on his back a few times. Remember that game against Winnipeg? He got them a, a point almost by himself. Uh, lately the shooting talent 
or shooting luck hasn't really been there, I've, I've found. But uh, this is just a guy who seems to score on any given night. Nick, where did you have Austin Matthews? Yeah, I gave him an A. So I didn't expect to be lower than anyone Harsh. else. But I know, honestly. But he's he's still that, that even-strength goal-scoring machine that we know. And I'll even go further and say that since Keefe has taken over, he's kind of found another element to his game. I really like his play off the puck. Uh, still a takeaway machine. And he looks a lot more engaged off the puck. And we've seen him, as you said, kind of take over games. And it's something that I've seen more often since Keefe took over, whether that's an ice time thing or whether that's just playing a system that he's more used to playing. Uh, either way, it's good to see. So I gave him an A. Ian? And I had mine sorted out into two different grades. I said uh, before Keefe came in, I had Austin Matthews at a B plus. I thought that the scoring was excellent, but there were a lot of aspects of his game that were frustrating me, particularly his effort on the defensive end. Uh, you know, there were a lot of clips you could see of him kind of shying away from contact and even just skating up the ice offensively, hoping to cheat for some offense. Meanwhile, a three on two down low, the other team ends up scoring. You got a bit frustrated with it. Since Keefe's taken over, I completely agree with you that he's taken his game to that next level. We're seeing the two-way impact on the game. The goal scoring's still there. With with more minutes, he's scoring more goals now. Shocker. Believe it or not, when you give the best goal scorer at five on five more <laughs> minutes, he will score more goals. It's this crazy phenomenon. Wow. Uh so frustrating under Babcock. But yeah, so I gave Matthews I gave him a B plus under Babcock. I gave him an A plus under Keefe. You can balance that out to I don't know, an A? A minus? I'm somewhere in sure. between. I feel like Matthews would be that student that, you know, gets an A and goes back to the teacher to complain. I, I feel like that's Matthews. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> with with Matthews, I I don't know if he's yet ready to be the matchup guy yet. I don't know if he's uh, willing to, like, I don't know if he's the guy you put out against Bergeron, but I found with Keefe's usage, uh, he's, like, under Babcock, they used to play the fourth line more. Uh, they used to give him a ton of defensive zone starts, and it feels like under Keefe, He's giving his other centers more minutes, particularly Matthews and Tavares. Uh, they're getting pretty much minutes in every situation. They're throwing him out as soon as they're ready rather than when it's an offensive zone draw. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see come playoff time, who like are they going to be matching up hard against the Bergeron line? or are they? I'm just assuming they're playing Boston at this point, even though... Ugh, could be it's so frustrating, <laughs> but it's inevitable, right? It's just, that's the way the universe works. I got to think that they'll go with the Tavares-Muzzin matchup like they did last year. It worked really well. So right. I'd imagine that's what they want to do. Now on the road, you don't really get to decide, right? So Yeah, and if it's not Bergeron, it's probably going to be Kucherov. So it's it's scary so, either way. Pick your poison. Let's go, let's jump right to Tavares. Um, basically... He's either the most important player of the team. I thought he was the best player on the team last year, to be honest. Uh, I think Matthews has been the best player this year. Uh, John Tavares, where did you have him, Nick? Start us off. Uh, I gave him a B plus. I think that he had a little bit of a slow start, but he is still that matchup center that kind of protects Matthews in that way. And, you know, like you said, Matthews isn't the matchup center, but when you have a team that also has John Tavares, Matthews doesn't have to be that. So... I gave him a B plus at even strength. I was looking it up and the Leafs are still getting outscored when Tavares is on. And a lot of that has to do with kind of the save percentage that, um, that is kind of happening. They're not really getting saves when Tavares is on. So I think that that's going to improve, but uh, I gave him a B plus. He's still producing at a decent rate, especially lately since he was put out with, with Nylander. So uh, I put him there. 
Ian, where'd you have him? So, again, I divided my grade into before Keith and after Keith because I feel like with uh, Tavares in particular, there were drastic swings. And the beginning of the season, I thought he was terrible. You know, yeah, he. Happening? Oh, man. Poor Kapanen. That's going to be a rough grade. But with <laughs> Tavares, it was so weird because to start off the season, he wasn't hurt. But he just had a baby, and that was the excuse we kept hearing. But he didn't look like himself. Then he suffered that finger injury, and when he came back, he wasn't quite himself. He couldn't shoot as well. You, you saw him miss a wide-open net, and we're thinking, okay, the, the, the hand's clearly bothering him. So for that first month or two of the season, I'd give him, honestly, an F just based on his standards. But wow. since Keith took over, I think he's been excellent. I think, you know, B+, A-, minus, he's been great. So you combine those two, I'll give him a C overall in the season just because he's been decent, but... He's a superstar player, and we'd expect him to be better over a 42-game stretch of play. I do think he's going to finish the rest of the season strong and be that legitimate number one center heading into the playoffs, which it's a nice luxury to be able to have Tavares and Matthews on your li- in your roster. That's two first lines. But, uh, wow. yeah, I think he started off the season really, really slow, and we never really got a great explanation for it. Whenever I think of having Matthews and Tavares on the roster, I think back of the days when... The Leafs were, like, desperate to sign Tim Connolly. Like, that's all I remember. <laughs> Those are the good days. First line center, Matt Stajan. Those were good days. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I gave him a B-. minus. I think, I mean, he's got 41 points in 42 games. I know points aren't everything. I think part of the reason, like, you might see that stat line and think it should be an A, but uh, it seems like he's kind of racking up power play points on a, on a, and getting tons of power play time. Uh, you also have to keep in mind that he's playing more minutes under Keefe. So uh, I think the per minute's probably down. Like last year, him and Marner were just a force at five on five. Uh, this year, I think particularly as as Ian said off the start, uh, when Kapanen was on the left there, I, I thought that line was just, just not themselves. And I know, I mean, you can use the baby excuse, um, but I think there's just a very high standard for John Tavares. Uh, he's a star player. He has been for a decade now. I guess a little bit more than a decade now. Um, so I had to I had to give him a B minus. I thought that was a little bit harsh for a guy who's pretty much point per game. But uh, I, I believe it's he's got twenty five on five points and twenty one power play points. So it, it's it's kind of tough to wait. I don't know how much. I mean, it is nice to see him playing with Nylander and and. Uh, let's go to Nylander next, but I think that Tavares-Nylander duo has been been quite effective. I gave Nylander an A. Uh, Nick, would you have him at? I also had him at, as an A. He, When we're talking about expectations, I think in the summer a lot of people expected very good from him, and obviously there's the, the section that really didn't expect much from him, but I think he has made true to his promise in the summer of saying that he was going to dominate. He's been absolutely amazing this year um, not only has he seen his his point production increase from last year but he's also off the puck being very good and obviously we've seen him with his puck carrying and his ability to uh, enter the zone at a very high level he's almost on the power play I feel like I'm just yelling at my tv saying just give the puck to Nylander and let him gain the zone and then everyone else can touch the puck uh, on the power play so I gave him an A. Nice. I normally yell for Tyson Berry to take more point shots. I don't think he takes enough of those on the power play. <laughs> uh, Ian, what did you have 
Nylander at? Uh, C minus. You know, you want to see him work harder on the back check? No, no. He's obviously been excellent this year. I gave him an A. I think he's helping prove a lot of his doubters wrong, especially with respect to going to the slot. This has become a weird topic of discussion. I'm going to have Justin Bourne on my podcast to talk about this a bit later, but he was talking about how a lot of the doubters in Nylander, you know, they were right because he wasn't going to the dirty areas. But if you look at his shot locations last year, they, a lot of them were from the slot. He just wasn't scoring. And some of that, I think, was bad luck. Some of that, I think, was maybe in those first uh, couple games, especially in that first month and a half, maybe his timing was a bit off and he wasn't getting the, the, the finish on those shots that you'd expect him to get. But he's second in the league in goals from the inner slot this year. That's not an accident. He's going to the dangerous areas and he's getting goals. He's gaining the zone like crazy at five on five. This possession style of play really suits what he does best. He's so good at picking the puck up, skating it from the defensive zone to the offensive zone, and then setting up the cycle. And he's used to playing with Matthews on the cycle, and that's worked well. Now he's playing with Tavares on the cycle. Believe it or not, that works well too. <laughs> yeah, I don't have I don't have huge preferences. I don't know, but I'll ask you this quick. Like, where do you prefer, Matthews Nylander or Tavares Nylander? And I guess the flip side would be Tavares Marner or Matthews Marner. So... I don't mind it right now because Matthews Marner is working, and I was skeptical about whether or not that was going to work. It's funny, earlier in the year, I wrote an article about why it hadn't worked in the past and how Matthews and Marner were never really puck retrievers. They were never the first man in on the forecheck. They always liked having someone else uh, gain the zone for him. Matthews always had someone else gain the zone for him instead of doing it himself. I feel like both players have kind of taken a step forward with respect to uh, Marner is letting Matthews carry the puck more in transition, and Matthews is really good at it. Not as good as Nylander, not as good as Marner, but Matthews does need to do more of it. He can't defer to someone like Hyman to be taking the puck up the ice. Yeah. He needs to do it himself. Uh, I think that they're competing more on the the tough parts of the ice when it comes to Matthews really getting in the corners and winning a puck battle, uh, trying a lot more defensively. Marner's never going to be a, a Selkie candidate, but they're back-checking hard now. I think that's part of the reason it's working, and under Mike Babcock, they weren't doing it for whatever reason, uh, but I, maybe they like Sheldon Keefe better, maybe they're in better moods now, I'm not sure what it is, but at 5-on-5, five five, they've been dominant. When you look at the shots, the chances, Matthews and Marner are killing the opposition when they're on the ice, and if you can do that, then you can have a Tavares Nylander line that also dominates the opposition, especially with Pierre Engvall there. I think we might be talking about him soon, but I've really liked that trio of players. We will be talking about him soon. I want to go back to, well, I'll say with, with Marner and Nylander, I almost find them inter interchangeable. They're both good at entries. I think Nylander probably has the edge there. They're both good at playmaking. I think Marner probably has the edge there. Um, but, like, the one, we have, there's a lot of things to criticize Babcock for, but the one thing that I think maybe gets overblown is, like, I don't mind that he never played Matthews with Marner. I don't, because Tavares and Marner last year were on a tear. I think Marner led the league in primary points per minute. Um, so I don't blame him for not breaking them up. I think as long as it's Matthews and Tavares as your top two centers, as long as it's Nylander and Marner as your top two right wings, I'm pretty happy. Uh, we got into trouble last year, I think, when we saw Nylander on the third line. Uh, when Nylander was out and you had that Marlowe-Matthews-Brown line or... or when Kadri was out, when Kadri took that suspension. Oh, those were... It was, it was a rough time. Um, See, I don't go. know. I loved Patrick Marlowe and Connor Brown alongside William Nylander. You didn't think that was the best way to get the most out of Nylander? Uh, I guess not. 
that was tough to watch. It was so tough. Nick, you got anything to add on on Nylander here? You gave him an A, didn't you? Yeah, I gave him an A, and and kind of going back to that question, I'm hoping that we do see at some point Tavares, Marner, and Hyman uh, back together at some point, especially if the Leafs play a team like Boston in the playoffs, just because of how good they were last year against that Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak line. So, I mean, for right now, I do really like the current duos um, in Marner and Matthews together, but come playoff time, especially if they play Boston, just because we have that sample of last year, I'd like to see them kind of mix it up there and go back to that line that worked well. So let's go Let's go. Right, get right into Marner here. So yeah, I think he had a bit of a rough start, uh, similar to Tavares when... It was that Kapanen, Tavares, Marner line. Uh, as Ian mentioned, he's been much better with Austin Matthews, so it's been of a bit of a... I, I'd say, like, Ian's probably going to have to split grades here, which will probably tell the better story. So, Ian, why don't you start us off? So, I didn't Mitch have Marner. the split grades, just because I think at the end of the day, I just went B+. Plus. I went, he's, he's been good overall, but again, to start the year, he was absolutely awful. At, at even strength, I don't think he had a a primary point for about a month there where he just wasn't scoring. It was weird. I don't know what was going on, but he eventually got his confidence back. We saw that five point game against Carolina it was definitely his, his high point of the season where he just completely took over the game. That was, that was such a fun moment. And then seeing him tweet it out afterwards, how much it meant to him. It was just, it's cool. It's cool seeing when, when things matter to hockey players who are from here, you know, Mitch Marner from Toronto, it was like the, it was the Fortnite kind of day. And I'm like, yeah, that's a Marner kind of day. <laughs> Clearly we need every game. Should every be day should be kids yeah. day. That's how we get these five point games out of Marner. But uh, he's been good this year on the power play. He's been an excellent passer and a terrible shooter. Uh, I don't know why he keeps taking those, oh, those one-time shots. I'm sorry. You got to stop with those, Marner. I love you. You're great, but they're just wasted shots. I mean, Nick Backstrom would never fire a one-timer from the, the top of the left circuit. Just, he can't shoot that shot, and he knows that. He's accepted it. Marner, accept the fact that you can't shoot a one-timer and just focus on being that fantastic playmaker. That's why we love you. I had him as a, at a B-plus as well. Nick, where'd you have him? Uh, Marner, I had an A-minus. I'm starting to realize as these grades go on that the Keefe era is kind of seeping in more into my grades than the Babcock era, just because I feel like I'm a little higher uh, on all the grades. But with Marner, I mean, since Keefe took over, he has been absolutely amazing. Um, kind of that, the style that the Leafs play really suits him. And I feel like I was really looking forward to Marner when he was injured to coming back to the Leafs just to see how he played. And I mean, he hasn't disappointed in the, in the slightest. And kind of talking about that power play, I'm ready for Marner and Matthews to switch sides like how they were last year. And that way we don't see any more of those Marner one-timers. I, do, I don't mind having Matthews on that one side for the one-timer because, I mean, obviously he's got an elite shot. But having Marner being able to kind of circle towards the net and it opens up so many passing lanes and... I kind of want to see that. Again. I want to say they're top three in the league since Sheldon Keefe took over on the power play. Yeah, and I mean, they've gone to Barry on the point. They've gone to Nylander in the middle. I used to be, like, when he first did it, I used to be pretty adamant that I wanted Marner on his non-one-timer side. Now that it's been working, I've been a little bit more accepting. Because, uh, yeah, I think they're either top three or top five um, since Keith took over. I know they've been red hot. Um, with with Marner, I gave him a B+. Uh, as I said, I think 
you look at his stat line, it's 47 points in 38 games, and you go, how does he not get an A? Well, I thought at the start, as Ian said, like he he was kind of not lucking into points, but they were all coming on the power play. And it's not that power play points don't matter. It's just that, you know, they need him for 5-on-5 scoring. He was, I think, the league leader, as I said, at, at primary points per minute last year at 5-on-5. So it was just kind of weird. I mean, I don't want to put all the blame to Kapanen in there. I think Tavares and Marner weren't at their best. And, you know, maybe it's because Tavares had the baby. Maybe it's because, you know, Marner had that big contract to live up to. But uh, that Carolina game was incredible. Uh, he he just seems to, like, I'm after, giving, after getting that contract, I was wondering, you know, is he going to go back to being like a 70-point guy? Is he going to be, you know, an 80-90 point guy? And, and it looks like the latter. So I'm, I'm thrilled with him. Ian, you got anything to add there on Marner? Yeah, just that I think when we accept him for what he is, he's a great player. He's never going to be a million and a half or two million dollars more valuable than a Sebastian Ajo or a Miko Rantanen. But if we just accept the fact that he can be one half of a dominant line, he can be excellent as a power play quarterback, and one of the team's best penalty killers, that's going to add up to great value. And even though it's frustrating that he got slightly overpaid this offseason, we can still accept the fact that he's a great player who's going to help this team win. So I like him a lot as a player. I expect a lot of him from a player, and, and that's why I don't have him as uh, as high of a grade as you do. But I like Mitch Marner. I love watching him play, and I'm glad that under Sheldon Keefe we're starting to see you know, the old Mitch Marner that we expected to see. Yeah, and he can play all situations. So it's not just 5-5. Five five. As you said, great penalty killer, uh, elite power play quarterback. I am completely done with those one-timers one and slap shots, as you mentioned. <laughs> uh, I think he's just awful at it. Uh, I'm sure he won't be the only player we talk about of, as wasted shots in the power play. I think Fuleman had a great tweet about it, that Marner firing one-timers on the power play is like when a celebrity puts out an album, like when an actor puts out an album, <laughs> tries their hand in music. It's just like, yeah, no, don't do it. <laughs> please, no, please, no. Uh, let's go to Fuleman's favorite player. You brought him up. Why not? Let's go to Zach Hyman. Great segue. That was a good It was just natural. Ian's a, a professional at this. Zach Hyman's so hard to grade in the report cards because you know exactly what you're going to get from him every night. I, I'm, I've run out of things to say about him. I'm just like, relentless work ethic. You know, always first on the forecheck, always first on the back check. I'm like, yeah, anyone who knows Zach Hyman knows he's going to do those things. And you never, you never like, he took it easy tonight, didn't do anything. He doesn't have that in his DNA. <laughs> Nick, you start here. Would you have Zach Hyman? Yeah, no. Like Ian was saying, I think it's really difficult to to grade him just because if it's based on expectations, Zach Hyman's done exactly what I expect him to. And I have him at, a, at an A- minus just because of the things that he's good at. It's so infectious and it's so fun to watch. And it's something the Leafs don't really... You know, a lot of people kind of knock them for their effort level, especially the Matthews, the Nylanders, and to see Zach Hyman going out there, and he's kind of the guy that looks like he really wants to win as much as every single Leafs fan. So, I mean, like you said, the stuff that he's good at, he's he's good at getting in first in the forecheck. He's always winning battles. Um, his on-ice kind of metrics really benefit the Leafs. And all I know is going forward, especially in the playoffs, he needs to be the guy the left winger that's playing the other team's top line in a similar similar way to how it was last year with that Hyman Tavares Marner line. So um, I definitely want to see him against the top line in the playoffs. And also when we're talking about right now uh, that Matthews Marner and Hyman lines have been so good and Hyman has a lot to do with it as well. He's uh, I think it was 
two games ago where Hyman won a race, kind of gave the puck to Marner, and then Marner had a good opportunity to shoot and then gave it to Matthews, who had the empty net. But it all started with Zach Hyman. So have him at an A-. minus. And it was a skilled little play. He, like, banked it off the boards. It was a clever little pass. I loved it. That was one of my favorite goals in the past couple of weeks just because it was Hyman doing what he does best. He gave it to Marner, who <laughs> elected to pass instead of having like he was like right at the hash marks it was like a perfect prime opportunity (laughs) and I mean he gave the puck to Matthews and then Matthews did what he does best so that was one of my favorite goals I've been calling those curfoots whenever I see that happen you're wide open in the slot like no I want the backdoor pass and I'm like you know what if it works it works (laughs) they're supposed to shoot but they almost like make that extra pass it's almost like Kerfoot and Marner always trying to one-up each other it's the anti-Kapanen yeah basically yeah uh, Ian, where'd you have Zach Hyman? I gave him a B plus. You give him a B. He's Zach Hyman. He is what he is. And I love him. But <laughs> I mean, he has, I guess he's scored 12 goals in 30 games. So we should be saying, Hey, why isn't the grade higher? But I don't know. I think some of that's a bit of luck. I think he has a nose for the empty net, unlike very many in this league. But, um, I don't know. I really like Zach Hyman. I don't think he's been particularly special this year, but I do think that if the Leafs had their very own Selkie award, because no one on the Leafs deserves to win the Selkie, if you look at the way that the team defends, but Zach Hyman, I think, is the team's most important player when the Leafs don't have the puck, and that has a lot of value, I think. Yeah, I had him at a B plus. I think, I mean, you look at the goals, 12 goals in in 30 games, and you also just look at his ability to come back from that injury. Uh, One thing, I mean, he is Zach Hyman, as you said. He's just kind of the model of consistency. Um, I just think, like, I'm not a big, I'm not one to really talk about leadership all that much, but, like, I watch those Molson Canadian Presents videos that least put out, and you just, like, see the way he carries himself day in, day out. Like, if if you took ability out of the question, I think Hyman might be the Leafs captain. Uh, Unfortunately, I mean, Tavares is a a good captain as well, by by all means, but... Uh, I just love the energy Hyman brings. Uh, he just seemed like great with Sandine in his first games, getting him some confidence. He had that tip in. Uh, he is getting some power play time under Keith as the net front guy. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, can we stop that? Yeah, I'm not a big fan <laughs> of that know. either. I don't know, and I want to get in. It reminds me of when Leo Komarov was on the power play, and I'm just like, I love Leo Komarov. <laughs> He's fantastic. He should never be on the power play. I think... The most frustrating on the power play to me was either Marlowe or Brown, um, especially last year. Like Connor Brown, and he's having a great year in Ottawa right now. But between the two of them, I I was pretty frustrated last year, especially when you have you know I wanted Trevor Moore in the lineup for the longest time. Uh, we'll get to him later, but uh, I, I I do like this forward core a lot more. Like the secondary scoring, I don't think offense is the problem. Um, but, I mean, it is a little bit curious with Hyman on the power play. But, I mean, I love him on the penalty kill. Uh, I love him at 5-on-5. Five five. The one thing you said, Kevin, that I really liked is that his work ethic is kind of infectious. Because I know we're numbers guys. You know, we tend to focus on what's your overall impact on play and whatnot. But that's something that's, you know, much tougher to quantify. Is that when you see Hyman working his tail off to go get a loose puck that no one else on the team would be willing to work that hard for, and he wins the race and beats out the icing and keeps your team on offense, I think players see that and they go, oh man, if he's trying this hard, I I should probably take it up another level. And I think it's something that it's hard to measure, but it has a great impact on this team, and they've felt a lot different since Hyman returned from his injury. So that matters, and he brings it every night. I love that about him. Not just on the ice, but I I think it was a video. I'll have to look it up. I forget what he said to Sandine, but... 
just, you know, you have a rookie coming in and, and a guy like Hyman that's been there for a few years. I mean, you can get their confidence up. Uh, he's always high energy whenever he's he's speaking to the media. So, I mean, I don't want to be like those people who like reporters who just judge the player based on the interviews. I don't want to be like them, but that's why they hate William Nylander. <laughs> that's why they hate <laughs> among, among other things. Um, I just think, I mean, I think he's the best, probably the best left winger on the team, but let's get to the other left winger on the team. I guess the, the probably the second best or, or in conversation with Hyman. Uh, Nick's a big fan of this guy. So I'll let Nick start on this one. Andreas Janssen. So, Nick, where'd you have him? Uh, you're saying second best left winger on the team. I thought you were going to say uh, Pierre Engvall. But I guess <laughs> uh, yeah, so I went with the C-plus for Andreas Janssen. I had very high hopes for him this year. I think I tweeted actually in the first week saying that that I thought that Andreas Janssen was going to be a 60-point player in, this year. And that, I mean, obviously he got injured. He missed some time, so that kind of factored in. But I didn't think that he had a very good start this year. I think that he still was quite good off the puck. I think he's kind of underrated in his feistiness and his ability to to win battles as well as to get open, something that kind of helps the Leafs in transition, um, his ability to get open and make passes. So I gave him a C plus just because the production wasn't really there to start the year. And, and now it's since Keith uh, took over and he's back from his injury. He's only played a few games, so it's kind of difficult to judge him there. But... So, I mean, the majority of his sample is in the Babcock era where a lot of the forwards weren't really playing up to their potential, in my opinion. So I'm kind of in between on Janssen. I'm still very, very high on his skill set. I think that he is arguably the team's best left winger. Uh, Hyman kind of gives them a different look, but I think Janssen is able to win battles in a similar way to Hyman, not as good, but he also can produce and he has a good shot uh, and he he can put up points. So... I want to see him in that top six, whether he's playing with Matthews and Tavares going forward. And I think that he's going to get back into the swing of things and kind of that Janssen we saw at the end of the year last year. Yeah, I think people are obviously low on him right now. Part of that's shooting percentage. but And part of that is that he's not playing on the top power play unit right now. Uh, but Nick, I want you to plug your ears for a second because I'm going to ask Ian what he had for Andreas Janssen. No, and it's funny because I love Andreas Janssen too, and I think that that point you made about him being able to get open is such an important point. It's one of my favorite aspects of his game. The hard part is that when he's playing on a line with Kasperi Kapanen, you don't get to see it as much because as much as I love Kapanen's overall tools, Kapanen hasn't been able to you know, find that extra pass that he needs to make or he doesn't see the backdoor pass. There was this great play on a two-on-one where Andreas Janssen passed it to Kapanen and then skated backwards into some open space for what would have been a tap-in if Kapanen gave it back to him. But he didn't. Kapanen shot it from you know the hash marks, which is what Kapanen does. And we'll talk about Kapanen a bit later. With Janssen, I made the same uh, you know, bold take when the season started, that if he gets first unit power play time and he spends a whole season with Matthews Nylander, I think he can be a 60-point guy. I think he has that kind of offensive upside because, like you said, if you can get open and you can get to the high-danger areas where he generates a lot of shots, I thought that he'd be able to be that kind of 25-goal, maybe you luck into 30 with a shooting percentage bender. But it hasn't happened this year. He has six goals in 34 games. Some of that's bad luck. Some of that's playing on a line where maybe they're not taking advantage of his ability to get open. Uh, I don't know. He's a tough player to evaluate. I gave him a C- just because I expect more from him. And I think he's going to have a much better second half than he did in the first half. Just because I don't know how he can be worse offensively. He's much better than this. But um, yeah, the results haven't been there. And I expect more from him. 
I gave him a C. I went right in the middle, I think. Um, I didn't really – it's tough to know what to do with him because he's been hurt uh, as of late. And then when you, when you saw him come back, he, he just wasn't himself. The conditioning wasn't there, as Keith said. Uh, he shot about 3.5% at 5-on-5 five five this year. So I think that's where I'm kind of giving him a little bit of slack and maybe bumping him to a C. But, uh, I, again, I don't really – like I see him as an average second-line winger, I think, on most teams. He goes to the net. Uh, he's hard-nosed. I think the Leafs could use that. And uh, I do like him, whether he's with you know Tavares or, or Matthews. I think he fits in well there. I kind of like him on the third line with Kerfoot as well, just to make that an even more powerful line. He um, can penalty kill. Uh, he's kind of he's bumped. He's got bumped down under Key from the top power play unit to the second power play unit, and that's the biggest thing I think with him because he's fantastic in that bumper role. But now he's not getting many minutes on PP two, so the points aren't there, and it's kind of tricky for him now. And Ian, I wanted to ask you this: so last year they went with Janssen on power play one in a contract year, and Nylander was sitting there and did not play on the top power play unit. And, I mean, you already paid Nylander at that point. So I think, like, looking back, if I had a time machine and I could and I could actually convince Mike Babcock, I'd tell him, put Nylander on power play one, get him some confidence, and put Janssen on power play two. Let's put his points down a little bit. Let's maybe not pay him quite as much. Ian, what do you think about that? I think if you're the fourth or fifth best option on the, the first unit power play and you're in a contract year you probably shouldn't be playing there. And I know that in baseball, there's uh, the book Moneyball, where they talk about selling the closer, how if they had a player that they wanted to trade, they'd just make him the closer, give him a bunch of saves, where you know it's a stat that doesn't really matter, and then you can trade him and then put someone else in that role and trade him. Why not use the power play, uh, the number five spot on the Leafs power play is that. Why not just stick someone in there in the middle of the power play, to, you know, put up a bunch of points, then you can trade that player away at peak value. I don't know. I feel like it would be a smart thing to do, but we don't see many teams do it. Yeah, they're being pretty nice to Tyson Berry right now. We'll get into him later. I think that's going to be a long one, but um, I know Keith switched. Hey, his numbers Riley. are good. Dom's going to yell at you for that one. I know. Well, we'll, we'll see what the grades are. We'll, go, we'll get there. Um, but, I mean, the agent has to be thrilled if you're Tyson Berry right now. Uh, contract year, the new coach puts you on power play one. You can kind of blame the old coach. Um, so, I mean, we'll see where, where Barry takes us. Um, Nick, anything you want to add on Janssen? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting in the next month with Janssen just because, I mean, obviously he's one of the more kind of attractive trade pieces that the Leafs might be willing to trade away for a defenseman. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens with him. With the kind of the rise of Pierre Engvall, it, it's so tough to kind of look at Pierre Engvall because he's been at it's, it's been a small sample of him playing very very well and I think the Leafs are now faced with a very difficult question with Andreas Janssen is 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 that contract worth it when you have a guy like Pierre Engvall who potentially could replace um, Janssen for a much lower cap hit so I think with Janssen it's going to be interesting kind of in that second half yeah I think I think the contract's worth it for sure my question more is like if you trade Janssen and you get a pretty good return, you go to free agency, you could probably get a pretty good player for that 3.4. So you get someone in the trade, and then you kind of replace them in free agency or with someone like Mikhaev coming back from injury next year who's going to need a bit of a raise. Uh, that's like I'm not sure how much surplus value there is, and he's a little bit older than, than someone like Kapanen. I think he's he's born in 95? He's 94. This is Janssen? Yeah, he's 94. Uh, he's a 94. 94, okay. So... 
Yeah. Like he's he's not like 21, 22 anymore where you see some growth. Uh, but I do think he's a top six forward, just probably like a number six. So, uh, I, again, I gave him a C. Um, I'm kind of scared to ask about Kasperi Kapanen to Ian right now. So let's start with you, Nick. Where did you have the Finnish speedster? I gave Kapanen a C-, and I think he was the toughest guy to grade just because he's one of the weirdest players because when he's on the third, when he's on the third line, he looks fantastic in my opinion. I think that he's able to use his speed against kind of the second and third pairing defensemen and it really shows in transition. And then when he goes into the top line, like when, earlier in the year when he was playing alongside Tavares, he just didn't look comfortable. And whether that's because he was on the left wing or the style that Tavares and Marner play, they're usually in the offensive zone. They like to play in tight corners, something that I think Captain really struggles in. Um, he's a lot more kind of comfortable skating. He's a lot more of a north-south player in general. So he's interesting because it feels like he produces the same no matter what line he's on, whether he's on the first line, second line, or the third line. So I gave him a C-. minus. Wow. Ian, let's hear it. Yeah, a very similar argument. I went with a D just because I'm clearly really mean when I'm evaluating these players. I, just, <laughs> I have no problem just failing someone or giving them a bad grade. But uh, yeah, with Kapanen, th- the hardest thing is that I know he's better than this. And it reminds me a lot of watching Frederick Anderson lately, who's struggling, but we all know has the talent to perform better than this. Kasperi Kapanen, I think, is much more than what he currently is, which is a 45-point player in the NHL who can help you out in the penalty kill. I think when you look at his combination of speed and skill, there are very few players in the league who, who have both of those things. And if he ends up being, for the rest of his career, a 45- to 50-point guy, you know, that's fine, and, and you, you're happy with that on your third line, and that has value on his current contract. But I think he can be so much more than that. I think that it's the decision-making that's missing from his game. Again, I'm not sure if that's ever going to be coachable. I don't think, I'm not sure if he's ever going to be able to realize that there's a backdoor pass available when he's firing those shots from the middle of the slot. Or sometimes he overpasses when he's wide open, and it's just kind of a game-sense thing for him, particularly when he's attacking off the rush. But his raw ability to pick up a puck and go... I don't think there are many players in the league who have that pure talent. So if you're just looking at his on-ice results, I'm sure it's better than this grade that I'm giving him. But under Sheldon Keefe, he's struggled even when you look at the numbers. And again, I think it has to do with the fact that he wants to get north-south and Keefe wants the puck moving east-west, especially in the offensive zone. And I think he's had a hard time kind of grasping that concept. So I had him at a B-. minus. I was a little bit generous, I guess. Uh, He hasn't had very good numbers in terms of expected goals this year. Uh, I give him a bit, a little bit of slack just because, I mean, he was asked to play left wing, and I just don't think his skill set uh, really worked there. Um, and, I mean, it, it is tough, the fact that, you know, he's kind of he's going to be blocked in the top six in Toronto. Uh, I mean, Marner's not going anywhere, Nylander's not going anywhere. Uh, I like Kapanen on that third line, as Nick alluded to, where you can kind of put him out there against second and third pairing defenders and just let his speed kind of take advantage of the Roman Polacks of the world. Um, but I look at I was looking at his five on five points. So he's got twenty five on five points this year, tied with Tavares. He's two back of Marner. So I think he, he's not a guy that's ever played on the top power play unit. Uh, I, I love him on the penalty kill still. Uh, I don't know if I've loved him defensively this year. Like the speed is great for defense because if you're at a position, you can get back in a position very quick. Or 
if you're deep in the offensive zone and you got to come back for an odd man rush, uh, you could come back and break it up. So I, I love the speed and I love the penalty kill, but the five on five defense, uh, I still feel he plays a little bit light where I don't know if he's really going in there winning battles like Hyman does or even like Mikhaev did. Um, so I, I'd like to see him maybe get a little bit stronger, get a little bit uh, better in terms of, you know, if he's a little bit stronger, maybe he goes to the, the net a bit more, maybe he goes to the, like the inner slot area. Uh, I, I don't have a ton of hope for his playmaking. Uh, I just, I think back to the playoff goals he scored, and I mean, they're electric. And I just, I think maybe I was a little bit too high, a little bit too generous with the B minus. I'd probably bump that down to a C plus after hearing you guys. But I do have a bit of sympathy for him that, you know, he took a lot of the blame for the Tavares Marner line, and I think all three of them kind of deserved it. So, uh, Ian, I think you are the definitely the mean teacher here, but I, I definitely hear where you're coming from. I've learned to be ruthless in these report cards. It's hardened me as a person. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for the hot takes. I'm ready for all the angry comments. I'm ready for people to at me. It's, it's, it's my life these days. I view like Nick and I as like the first year teachers right now where you're like playing it safe. And then like you as like the 20 year, you're in your 20th year of teaching and you're just telling the parents how it is. I think I'm, I'm like that old man who just has no time for this shit anymore. I'm just <laughs> 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 like, I'm going to give you 51%. I'm going to get you out of my class because I don't want to deal with you again. <laughs> you're going to summer school. Kapanen is going to summer school, I think. Yeah. Thanks to you. To teach so let's go. We got, we got him out of the way. Let's go more, more of a positive note here. Let's go. Let's go Pierre Engvall. Why not? So he's got 14 points in his 27 games, 11 at even strength. Uh, he doesn't play the power play. He's, he's been pretty good on the penalty kill. I like him defensively on this team. I, I like that he can play center in a pinch, although I haven't really loved him there at the NHL level. Uh, relative to expectations, like I've been watching Envall with the Marlies for years. Uh, I've always I thought he really started looking good defensively last year. Uh, the Marlies had a couple centers out. I think Mueller is out. Uh, at some point last year, and he moved to center, and I thought he really handled it well to the point where I thought he had a chance to be the team's fourth line center this year. Now, when they when they went out and signed Spezza, when they went out and signed Nick Shore, uh, and you still have Batan in that conversation, I wasn't too sure. Like it, it made me think he might be with the Marlies all year, but I almost compare him to like a better Leo Komarov, where I like him on the wing defensively. I don't know if you say that ab- about a ton. A ton of wingers. I think it's more about something you reserve for centers, but uh, I gave him an A. Uh, I think you could maybe argue A plus. Ian, did you have him in the A range? Yeah, I gave him an A. I can't get enough of Pierre Engvall because, again, like you, I liked him at the AHL level, but I was never sure if he was going to have that next gear to, you know, really make a, a difference on a fourth line or a third line at the NHL level. And he's looked good on the third line. He's looked good on the the second line alongside Tavares and Nylander. Like you said, his speed and his stick length really help him make a difference in neutral zone defense. He's so annoying to play against when he's trapping things up. It's part of the reason he has the best penalty kill numbers in the NHL right now. Now, he's playing on PK2. So you have to remember that anyone who plays on the second unit penalty kill is going to have inflated numbers on the PK because... You're defending a neutral zone trap. Exactly. It's easier to keep teams from entering your offensive zone when you're set up in a neutral zone trap versus when you're on the ice, they win the faceoff. There's literally nothing you can do. They're set up. So as a second unit penalty killer, he's been the best at that role in the entire NHL. He's been fantastic. Five and five, he's been good. He's moving the puck up the ice really well. When we talk about Sheldon Keefe's breakouts and the reloading that we see, 
Pierre Engvall is the first player who comes to mind for me because instead of dumping it in, he's one of the first players to circle back, swing into his defensive zone, pass it to an open player, and then head up the ice with numbers and with speed. And I can't get enough of his game. I'm not sure if it shows in the numbers as much as I tend to see it with my eyes when I'm watching him, but I think that there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of tools in his toolkit, and I don't even think he's put it all together yet. I think he can reach a higher ceiling than he's currently at. Nick, did you have him as an A range, or do we have to go to war? Uh, we're not going to war. Actually, I went up to you guys. I gave him an A+. Plus. Yeah. If we're doing this base, wow. Yeah. If we're, if we're doing this based on expectations, I mean, I would never have expected Engvall to be, in the conver- to be the guy that would potentially be pushing Andreas Janssen off this team uh, in a bunch of trade proposals. So... V- just based on expectations, I'm giving him an A+. He's been a really strong puck carrier um, for the Leafs and, and even for the Marlies. When he was on the Marlies, he was really orchestrating zone entries and zone exits himself. And he's starting to kind of do that with the Leafs now. And on many nights, he looks like the best player on that third line, in my opinion. So he's, he's just been one of the real bright spots on this team this year. And like you said, I think he's starting to really put it together. He is starting to make some big-time plays in the offensive zone. Um, I've been really surprised with his playmaking. He made that really nice pass on the back door. I can't remember who it was to. Nylander. It was Nylander who deflected it with his backhand. It was amazing. And that's something that I've been hoping to see from Kasperi Kapanen. So to see that from Pierre Engvall in the first month or two of his NHL career, I just don't think we're ever going to see him in the AHL ever again. I think he's been that good. Yeah, I think... Just, like, you look at his numbers from last year with the Marlies, he had 32 points in 70 games, so that never screams superstar. And, and then you look in the playoffs, I think it's, it looks like he had 7 points in 13 games, but just one goal. So kind of like Hyman, where he's, he wasn't a player that put up big points at the AHL level, uh, I kind of knocked him a bit in my top 25 under 25 ratings, just because, you know, he wasn't ever going to be a star, but... I did always like his defensive game, and I, and I thought he could be like I thought his ability to to switch between left wing and center was going to be valuable. Uh, I thought he was going to be better than Goche as the fourth line center, so I did see an NHL career for him. But he's been even better than I expected. Now I don't think I think the playmaking is probably uh, a little bit unsustainable, just because you know I didn't really see it much with the Marlies. Uh, I think he's been a better playmaker at the NHL level somehow. Um, but I mean, he's going to pick up assists if he if he puts himself in a position to play with Tavares and Nylander. And I do like his defensive game, his long reach. He's got good speed. Uh, he, he also just is a pretty smart player out there. So again, I think it is a bit of a honeymoon phase with him, where you know every Leafs fan loves him because you know he's he's well ahead of expectation. He's not making any money, but uh, I don't know. It he's might, a draft. He's a draft. He's got the longest <laughs> neck in the league, but. Uh, you know, I think people will eventually get a bit frustrated with the with the playmaking skill, but he's a very I think he's going to be a good defensive winger for for years to come, and the Leafs need that. So, um, Ian, I, I need you to run the numbers here. Does he have the longest neck per sixty? Oh yeah, elite neck per sixty. His neck with two C's is, is just <laughs> fantastic. That's why we had you on for this kind of analysis here. So the hashtag content everyone's looking for. Perfect. Let's go to uh, Alex Kerfoot. I think. I give him a B plus. Uh, obviously, I don't think he's an Azam Kadri. I think he's, I, I think he's been great at center, uh, and I think coming into the year, people weren't sure uh, if he was going to be able to hold that position or if he'd have to shift back to the wing. He played a lot of, of wing. He was on in the playoffs. He played with McKinnon on the right wing, 
Uh, we've seen him on a little bit on the left wing. I think he played with Tavares and Nylander there for a long stretch. Nick, where did you have Alex Kerfoot? I also had him at a B plus. Uh, just that ability to go onto the left wing, and I thought he looked good um, in that top six on the left wing. So just that that choice that now Sheldon Keefe has of being able to put uh, Kerfoot into that top six, I think is very valuable. I think his playmaking has was has been excellent this year. Um, of course, he's not Nazem Kadri, and I feel like sometimes we tend to expect our third-line center to be as good as Nazem Kadri. He's kind of really heightened our expectations of that role, but I think Kerfoot's been been good there, so I think a B-plus is fair. Yeah, I think, and Ian, I want to get your thoughts, not just his grade, but what you think of that trade, the Kadri trade. So, I mean, obviously the Leafs got Barry as well. Um, without getting into Barry too much... Like, for me, I still think the Avs win the trade. You still are you with me on that? Yeah, and I think that's why it's hard for me to not bring up Barry, just because like that's the biggest part of the trade, and he's really disappointed this year. And you know, a lot of people are of the opinion that he's actually been pretty decent over the last month. I think that'll be the topic of discussion that we get into. But with Kerfoot, I've liked what he's been this year because we weren't sure if he could be a third line center full time at the NHL level. I know that in my article I wrote about him over the offseason, I said that I thought he would be able to do it because of his ability to transition the puck and his ability to make good passes in the middle of the ice. That's always going to have value. Uh, defensively, he's actually impressed me more than I, than I thought he would. I thought that defense would be the biggest area of concern for him, and it really hasn't been. He's been going into the tough areas of the ice pretty well, winning battles, you know, for a five foot ten guy, a lot more than we'd think that he'd win. And a lot of the times it's the the two wingers on his line that are up in the play. So he's forced to be the defensively responsible third guy who hangs back a bit. And I think because he's been so responsible defensively, maybe it's held him back from picking up a few extra points here and there. But I think overall it's helped the team defend three on threes a lot better because now it's a three on three rush instead of a three on two or a two on one. And that's something that might not always show up in the numbers, but it's something that I pay close attention to. And I really like Kerfoot's defensive play. I like his transition play. I think he's been a solid third line center for the lease. Again, obviously not a Nazem Kadri, but for what, three and a half million dollars, you take what you're getting from Kerfoot. He's got the positional flexibility to be an effective winger in the top six or to be an effective third line center. And both of those things have value. Yeah, and I think with Kerfoot, there's a tendency for some people to look at the point stats and think he's been a bit of a bit of a disappointment, or he's not playing all that well. But uh, he's got, I think he's got 19 points so far in 44 games. He was out with dental surgery, so there's a bit of an adjustment there uh, in his first few games back, at least. Um, but he's he doesn't get power play time. He's starting to get penalty kill time. Um, well, I guess he, he got a little bit of power play two time, but he's never been on the top unit. And I look at like when he was in Colorado, he'd play. He'd get some power play one time. He'd get time at 5-on-5 five five with McKinnon. Um, I think those kind of bump the points numbers a bit. But like I love him in that third-line center role because he can go out there, and I trust him defensively. Um, you know, when the Leafs had Tyler Bozak for years and, and Matthews <laughs> was a rookie, is a different story. And now I feel like, you know, if Kerfoot gets caught out against the Bergeron line or the Kucherov line, I'm not in a complete panic. And I think he's got some entry skill. I think he's got like he doesn't he doesn't shoot unless it's a great shot um it's got to be a perfect shot so he has a high shooting percentage it doesn't not like he wastes possessions with his shot and you know he's hard-nosed he goes wins battles um he kind of has a bit of Kadri's ability to be at least the hard-nosed center um I don't think he's he's close to Kadri but 
I was actually looking at like the evolving hockey website and like the two previous years and like expected goals against replacement. He was like the 90th percentile. I couldn't believe it. So I will, I won't take him above Kadri, but I'll definitely take him about above Mark Jankowski. Nick, you got anything to add on Kerfoot? Not on Kerfoot, but I mean, we have enough players to talk about. And already on this podcast, Marlowe, Brown, Bozak, and I think Tomov <laughs> have all come up. So I don't know who's next, who's coming up in our in our Leafs past. <laughs> Ian, you got anything to add on Kerfoot, or do you want to throw a Matt Martin grade out there? Uh, I was going to say, James Van Riemsdyk and Tyler Bozak in the defensive zone was an adventure. And uh, I think the way that those two were played under Mike Babcock can teach us a lot about how usage can really shelter some players. Because if you look at their 5-on-5 five five numbers since leaving the Leafs, they've really dropped off. And I think that's because coaches are putting them in situations that Babcock wasn't. And with Kerfoot, like you said, you can put him in some of those more difficult situations and he'll be fine. It's not perfect, but you can live with it. With Bozak and JVR, you couldn't live with it. Yeah, I can't even imagine Bozak and JVR on this team just based on like the chances they give up, the amount of goals against. So let's let's fly to the fourth line here so we can get to the defense. Uh, so Goche, I had a C. Moore, I had a C. Spezza, I had an A-. minus. Nick, what'd you have for Goche, Moore, and Spezza? Goche, I had a C plus. For Spezza, I have an A-. minus. And sorry, who was the last player? Trevor Moore. Trevor Moore. I thought I had so much trouble uh, grading him, but just because, I mean, I think he's, he's only played out. about 20 games, but I gave him a C plus. I expected a little bit more from him this year. I think we all expected him to kind of take the next step, and I felt like he was a little bit stagnant, but I'm excited to see him with uh, Sheldon Keefe, a coach that you know he kind of came alive um, with. Yeah, I love Moore on the fourth line specifically, and uh, I've loved Spezza, but before I comment too much on these three, Ian, who'd you have? So you, Goche, Moore, and Spezza. Um, so you know how in, in, in grade school, how we, we got like a level three, level two, level one kind of thing? Yeah. I'm going to give them a level four for the four minutes a night that they get. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got to save that one for Timoshov. <laughs> oh my god, this team, it's funny, I, I love it, they play their top nine in close games, they don't even bother playing the fourth line, and I think that makes sense, if you look at the NBA, if it's a really close game, you know, in the last five minutes of the, the fourth quarter, the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter, you're playing more of your star players, the Leafs have realized, hey, the fourth line doesn't really matter, and if it's a one-goal game, they shouldn't be playing, unless maybe you're protecting the lead, and you want to throw Frederick Gauthier out there for a shift, or okay, you really need a goal, maybe Jason Spezza will get a shift, there's no point really wasting their minutes in high leverage situations. And then in a game where it's 6-2, yeah, go nuts. You can play a lot of minutes in this third period. We see the same thing with the third pairing. I think it's a smart way to allocate minutes. Um, I don't know. We want to go with the grades here. I think I had an A- for Spezza as well because I think that he's been great in an offensive role. And some of the passes that he makes are just so high level. And it's funny because a lot of the teammates he plays with aren't ready for them because he has Hall of Fame level vision. He just can't skate anymore, which is why you need to shelter him on a third or fourth line. But I love the passes Spets is able to make, especially in this possession style of offense. I think it works really well. Timoshov, eh, I, I feel like we talk about Timoshov too much. I've got him at like a C, C minus, you know, Gautier, the same thing. They've been all right. They've been fourth liners at the NHL level, but nothing special. Uh, and I don't know. Personally, I'd like to see what a, a Kenny Augustino could do in this team. I, I think he could provide more than what we've seen from the left wingers that a lot of the Leafs have been up this year. Timoshov specifically, I've liked Adam Brooks. Adam Brooks has been pretty solid, but uh, yeah, the fourth line doesn't really matter that much in Toronto anymore, does it? No, I think Spe- Spezza in particular, I'll give a shout out. Like He was almost off this team. <laughs> if 
Like, the Leafs, with their cap space, it seemed like he was going to be the next guy cut just because Babcock wasn't playing him. And he somehow made it through, and I'm glad he did, he did. He's got 18 points in 37 games. He's great on face-offs, and he gives him a right-handed face-off option. So you can throw him out there. You know, if he's caught after an icing, I'm, I'm not completely scared that he's out there. Uh, Goche, I gave a C. I mean, he's scoring a ton, but I still think he's Goche. I'd still rather have other options out there. Trevor Moore, I gave a C just because he hasn't played much, uh, but I love him on the fourth line. I think he'll come around. Um, I gave Timoshov a C plus. Uh, Nick, I guess, why don't you throw out your Timoshov grade here? We're that's it's gonna be the highlight of the podcast. Yeah, I give him a B minus. I mean, not too different from anyone else. I think it's nice that he's up with the Leafs. Um, really like his physical play. It's it's kind of funny because in past years we really only saw kind of that physical Timoshov in playoff games, in my opinion. And now it's kind of something that he's known for. So I don't know if that's Babcock's fault or if it's just. We're noticing it more with, with Timoshov, so Yeah, I feel bad for him when he plays two minutes a night. I didn't expect him to be in the NHL this year, and maybe it's because of waivers, or maybe it's because of the cap hit, but, uh, you know, I don't think he's horrible. I think he's like a, a okay 13th forward. I think you can say that about a lot of guys, whether it's Agostino or Bertan. Um, so I kind of gave him a C-plus as a result. Uh, but I want to get into one last forward here. So I didn't grade. We won't bother with Brooks, Marchment, Patan, Aberg. Uh, just because they haven't really played enough games to get a good read on. But Ilya Mikhaev. Whoa, whoa, I have my Mason Marchment grade just really? sitting here. But no. <laughs> We're going to have to uh, save that for the next the next podcast. We'll have, to, we'll have to tease it, keep people on edge. But I want to get into Mikhaev. Would everyone have Mikhaev at? Nick, where'd you have him? I'm at a B plus. Um, I can't believe we forgot about him, first of all. But he... I think he's been kind of as advertised, a guy that has worked hard, but he's also really impressed me, especially with his even strength scoring. And it's interesting with him because when I look at his skill set, especially in the offensive zone, I wouldn't really expect him to be a guy that is going to put up a lot of points, especially assists, because his playmaking is kind of his knock. Um, It kind of seems like there's a lot of plays where guys are open and Mikheyev is just electing to shoot the puck, but yet he's... One of the, I think he's in the top five right now uh, on the Leafs in terms of um, first assists at even strength. So it's weird with Ilya Mikheyev. So I definitely hope that he plays this year and uh, he comes back to the lineup because he does give them that spark. He's an, he's an excellent penalty killer. Uh, and he has very good speed and he's able to beat defenders one-on-one. So I'm excited to bring Mikheyev back. He, he has some, something that 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 energy and that grit that a lot of Leafs players don't have. So he'll be great for the playoffs if he's able to make it. Ian, were you the nicer teacher for once? I can't believe I'm the nice teacher. I'm giving him an A+. Plus. I've, I'm absolutely blown away by Ilya Mikhaev this year. I think in my report cards, he still has the highest average grade per game. And I think it's because he combines that Zach Hyman level of effort when he's chasing down a puck carrier or he's on the forecheck, backcheck. He's so good at taking away that space. If you look at his feet, they're always moving. Even in the defensive zone, when he's on the weak side of the puck, if he sees the puck starting to cycle back to the point on the left side of the ice, he'll sprint back to his man on the right side of the ice so that that D-to-D pass can't be made. It's something that you won't notice if you're just watching the puck, but 
he's always impacting play whether or not he has the puck. Usually he impacts it when he doesn't have the puck. That's where he's at his best. And I remember someone explained this to me once that you have the puck, even the best players in the league have the puck for about one minute out of the 60 in the game. Or let's say a player plays 20 minutes. He'll have the puck on his stick for a minute or less, even if he's a superstar. So what you're doing without the puck matters more than when you have the puck. And I think Ilya Mikheyev's play without the puck has been exemplary this year. I think you look at his work on the penalty kill, you look at his work chasing down loose pucks in the offensive zone, he's been such a good complementary winger where he can play in your top six and you're happy with him. In fact, much like Zach Hyman, I kind of want Mikhaev out there against the other team's top talent because I trust him to take away space from that opponent and make life miserable for them. He's also been productive offensively, and ever since Sheldon Keefe took over, we've started to see him make more of those high-skill plays where instead of firing the, the shot from just inside the blue line off the rush, he's looking to toe-drag someone or drive to the net for a higher percentage chance. That injury that he suffered was awful it was gruesome and it couldn't have come at a worse time because I thought that he was really starting to peak as an offensive player I thought he was starting to look like a guy who could legitimately hang in the top six even when Andreas Janssen returned from injury so it's really unfortunate that he got hurt and I'm hoping that he's able to come back 100% for the playoffs but I can't get enough of his game I want all 12 of my forwards to play like Ilya Mikhaev how's his uh super 60 numbers Oh my god, elite! The the didn't he just sign something with Campbell's Chicken Noodle Soup or something? Yeah, I, saw, I saw a tweet or yeah, something I saw recently. A great picture. Yeah, <laughs> came across my timeline. I'm happy for him. The soup meme's awesome. I love the soup man. I gave him an A. So I think like coming into the year, I didn't know if he was going to be an Ozaganov type, where like he plays but he's also taking a, a lineup spot away from someone. Like I knew Batan was going to be in the conversation. I knew guys like Engvall and Marchment were going to be in the conversation. Uh, there were a lot of Marlies I liked coming into the year, and I didn't know if Mikhaev was going to be someone who deserved to be in the lineup, if he was just kind of your average 13 forward, if he was worse than that. Uh, I didn't know if he'd be like a, a top nine, like that was kind of the, the best case scenario, and I think he has. I think, you know, he has benefited a little bit from, I think, some empty net goals, and uh, I mean, but he doesn't play on the power play. He is a pretty good penalty killer by all accounts. He gets quite a bit of takeaways. He wins battles like Hyman. Uh, I really like him as that third forward in the offensive zone where, you know, in key system, when you have the defenseman pinching so much, I think Mikhaev kind of brought a, a defensive conscience to the team that they're kind of lacking now. Um, so he's a guy that you can kind of move up and down the lineup. You can put him with your, like, on your third line. You can play him as kind of the complementary player in the top six, especially when Hyman was out. Um, I don't know if I love him as a playmaker, but, you know, given his contract and just the work ethic and, and the points he's put up, I mean, he's, he's still got more even strength points than John Tavares, or five on five points at least. Uh, so he's kind of been just incredible, and it's not shooting percentage either. He's just been uh, kind of a, a Zach Hyman light. So I'm glad Ian was the nice teacher for once. Uh, Nick, I guess Nick Nick had high expectations for Mikhaev. He had been watching Mikhaev a little bit before he played in the Leafs. So I think the expectations got you a bit there, Nick. Yeah, definitely. When you watch uh, the IIHF from 2018 and you see Mikhaev kind of just dangling guys like Matt Barzal, it kind of brings your expectations up. So I'm going to blame that. So I'm glad you, uh, you, you gave me a break there because I was the bad teacher for once. Yeah. And I don't like that. I don't like that role at all. We had this debate before we started recording. Is it Mikheyev or Mikhaev? What if we decided? Because I, I interchange them. I still don't know what to go with. I go Mikhaev, so. And I go Mikheyev, so. We gotta... <laughs> it's, got, it's one or the other. 
You you're the tiebreaker, Ian. I've been saying Mikhaev, but I've been hearing a lot of Mikhaev, so I don't know what to do. Oh, uh-oh. We'll have to uh, consult some experts after the show here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's let's move to the defense now. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of discussion. Obviously, there the team defense is a bit of an issue right now, to say the least. Uh, we just went through the forwards. I think they clearly have the the forward skill, especially when you take expectations out of it and you just look at how good we expect these guys to be. So uh, the defense, I don't want to put all the blame on them. I think part of it is, you know, the forwards can be better defensively. I think part of it is bad goaltending, but the goals against numbers have been iffy to say the least. Let's start on a positive note. He's hurt right now, but Jake Muzzin. Uh, Nick, start us off on defense here. Where'd you have Jake Muzzin? I gave him an A minus. I mean, Jake Muzzin is so valuable to this team. We knew that last year when he was going up against the Bergeron line, and he plas- he passed with flying colors. Sorry. Um, and whether the Leafs play the Bruins this year or the Lightning in the playoffs this year, you need Jake Muzzin to be on that shutdown pair. Uh, I just love what he brings to the team. He's got fantastic gap control. He's not the best skater, but just his hockey IQ and his ability to get his stick in there and make plays and break up the cycle just makes up for it. So uh, such an important guy to this team. So definitely in the A range. Ian, where'd you have him? Yeah, I, I'm just so high on Jake Muzzin, much like Zach Hyman. I just think he's always been a good player. And frankly, I think Muzzin's been extremely underrated throughout most of his career. I think we saw last year that at 5-on-5, five five, he's the defenseman that you want to be playing against the other team's best players. He's the best on the Leafs by far at defending in the defensive zone, at taking away space, at taking away the front of the net, at using his stick to take away passing lanes. He's just by far the Leafs' best defensive player. I think even if you include forwards, but especially if you look at the defenseman, you compare him defensively to O'Reilly or a Barry, and it looks like they're playing different sports. But um, yeah, I gave him a B plus just because I think he's been good. I think he's been, you know, who he is. He's Jake Muzzin. I think Sheldon, since Sheldon Keefe took over, he looked a little bit awkward getting used to some of the plays that he wanted Muzzin to make because Muzzin's so used to playing that, you know, I don't know what you call it, that L.A. King style of play where you just get the puck on net, you know, you just make sure that your team has the puck, but we're just going to make these simple, safe little plays. Whereas Keith wants his teammates, or he wants his players to make these riskier passes to help maintain possession. And I think Kapanen's been struggling with that. I think Muzzin's been struggling with it a little bit. But the difference is that Muzzin's still his fantastic self in the defensive zone, where he breaks up a, a pass to the middle of the slot, wins a puck battle in the corner, and makes the quick breakout pass to a winger. He's always going to be good at that. That's never going to change. And that's that has a lot of value in this league. It's part of the reason I think the Leafs should probably re-sign Jake Muzzin because of how valuable he is to them. So... Maybe that'll lead into our Morgan Riley conversation where I'm thinking, hmm, maybe you keep Muzzin instead of Riley long term with this team. Uh, with before we get to Riley, with Muzzin, I kinda I did your thing. I gave him two grades here. So I gave him a B plus relative to expectations. Uh, just because he's got you know, he, we knew he was gonna be good. We expected this. The Leafs traded for him for a reason. Um, but if if I go more subjectively, I gave him an A. Uh, just because I look at this team without without him, and I say, oh, God. So I just, he's the guy that I think everyone should be paired with. Like, I love him with Justin Hall. I think he's a fine babysitter for Tyson Berry. I think he's a fine babysitter for Morgan Riley, if you put Riley on the right side. I think Dermot could play with I him. I mean, he looked good with Nikita uh, Zaitsev. I know. So, like, he is just kind of, like, exactly what they need in terms of that defensive presence, the guy that could penalty kill... Um, he doesn't need power play time to be successful. 
Um, so it makes it easier when you when you need to get you know someone like Sandine in the lineup and get him minutes. Uh, I'm all for resigning him, and it it seems like the Leafs have started those talks. Uh, I'm a little bit scared of what that contract will look like, but just given how valuable he is for the Leafs, he might be that guy where you pay, and then you kind of know, you know, three four years down the line that you know you might have to do what you did to Patrick Marlowe. Now I didn't like that with Patrick Marlowe, but I'm a little bit more. Uh, willing to do that with Jake Muzzin just because of how good he is. Uh, Ian, I think you opened a, a can of worms there. So let's go. Actually, let's start with Justin Hall. Let's get him out of the way here. I gave him, you know what, Nick, you start us off. What do you have, Justin Hall? Yeah, I love Justin Hall. I'm going with an A-plus here. He's a guy that last year has sat in the press box enough that I think he deserves this A-plus here. He's been fantastic with the Leafs, and... Now you look at it, and he's playing the top lines every single night, and a lot of that has to do with injuries, but even before the injuries, it was Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin taking on the top lines every night, and I wouldn't say he's passing with flying colors by any means, but we are seeing him kind of getting more comfortable, and he's able to hang with them. He's still jumping up in the play, and he's a big part of the Leafs breakout, and he's even making plays in the offensive zone as he slides up the half boards, so... I'm a big fan of Justin Hall. It kind of makes me, I don't want to say the word angry, but it, it, it upsets me that we could have had a very good right-handed defenseman for the past couple of years, and he was stuck on the Marlies or stuck on in the press box. So, I mean, I'm glad that he's now on the team, and I'm really excited to see how he plays for the rest of the year. Ian, where'd you have him? Yeah, if you use expectations as kind of a barometer here, I think most people didn't even think he would make the team coming into camp when you look at some of the other defensemen that were in front of him and he just kind of forced his way onto the team back at the time we thought maybe Liljegren heading into camp would have a better shot at making the Leafs than Justin Hall did and he just forced his way onto the team forced his way onto the third pair forced his way up the lineup onto the second pair and because of a combination of injuries and the Leafs not having anyone at right D who can play defense Justin Hall is filled in on the top pair and has looked all right, that's not where you want him. In a perfect world, you want him on a second pair. I think he's a number four defenseman at the NHL level now, but no one expected that. I don't think a lot of people even thought that he was a number six defenseman at the NHL level coming into this season. So I went with I went with an A because I just think he's blown past expectations. Now he's playing over his head a little bit, and I think we're starting to see it when you see Dermott and Hall against top competition. Sometimes stuff goes a little bit awry, and that's where you'd rather have a Jake Muzzin there to settle things down against top comp. But Justin Hall's a excellent puck mover. He's jumping up into the play really well. I think if you look at what the Leafs are trying to do in the offensive zone, Justin Hall's a perfect example of how you can kind of open up space by skating down the half wall and making a pass to the slot or driving it to the net sometimes and hoping for some kind of play on a rebound. Really like what I've seen from him this year. Hey. You guys are both the mean teacher because I gave him an A++. So, Nick, <laughs> you got to step up your game here. Played nine games last year. Nine. Like, he was in the press box the whole time. Uh, there's a great, I don't know if it's a documentary, but there's a, a, a great video of him. I think it was at one of those Molson Canadian Presents that the Leafs put out on Hall in his hometown. Uh, and it's just a great story. Like, you, you figure, like, what he was going through last year when, I mean, you're on the team, but you're you're only playing nine games. It's tough to get comfortable. Uh, you know, you wonder if, if that's it for your NHL career. Is it going to be nine and done? And uh, he persevered. I didn't know if he'd be on waivers at some point. And, and I mean, going into preseason, he was competing with Justin, with Jordan Smoltz, sorry, for, for a role. And 
Uh, you just look where he is going from from that to the top pairing. Now, I do think Muzzin's the real shutdown guy on that line. I think Hall's just kind of, you know, as Ian said, he's, he's probably more, you know, second pair or, or very good third pairing guy. But I like the extension. Uh, I, I just think the Leafs need right-shooting defensemen. They need penalty killers. Um, I'd rather have him than Cody Ceci, uh, to say the least. So, I mean, I'm, I give him an A++. I want to, let's, before we get into Riley Berry, because I feel like they're going to be be longer here let's go right to Cody CC the other right shooting defenseman on the team Nick quickly here what did you have for CC I'm gonna make this one really quick because I feel like the stage should be kept for Ian here but I gave him a C minus um I mean it's kind of tough now that he's on the third pairing I can't be too upset with him when he was on the top pairing under Babcock with Riley I mean I felt like every single night I wasn't happy with him but he's been better than what I expected in the offseason and that probably has more to do with my expectations than how he actually played. But now that he's on the third pairing, I'm, I don't, I'm not as mad about it all the time, but he's definitely a guy that I don't want to see in the playoff lineup. And the dream remains if they can somehow trade him um, and kind of even, even if they can get a right handed defenseman and have Barry on that third line with in a sheltered pairing, then I think that's ideal going to the playoffs. Ian, did you use the A plus plus here? Oh, my. The thing with Cody Ceci is that I just, frankly, I don't think he's very good. And it's, if someone thinks that he's good, we're going to strongly disagree on him. And a lot of people think that I'm really mean to Cody Ceci and I have some vendetta against him. I don't. I want him to do well. I like it when he makes plays off the rush where he skates up into the play and makes the pass as he gains the zone to the player on the wall because he's actually really good at that. And he should do that more often because he's a good five to 10 foot passer you ask him to do any more than that, and it starts to get bite, a bit dicey. And then the defensive zone, he can rub out his man along the wall. He can kill penalties and block shots, but he can't really do much more than that. Whenever he's asked to do more than that, he tends to really struggle. So I gave him a C. I gave Cody CC a C. That was the joke I went with because he is Cody CC, and I don't think Cody CC is very good. But some people might, and that's I don't know what to say. Agree to disagree on it at this point. I also gave Cody CC the C. I thought I was gonna have the, the the I don't know. I thought I'd have the high one there, but I guess not. So I mean, he's been. A I bit... could give him a D, but I mean, he's Cody CC. What did you expect? Yeah, exactly. I I don't think he's been as bad as I expected. But when Nick was t- when. When what Nick was saying when he was on the top pairing, I completely like blocked out of my memory that he was on the top pairing for so long, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no!" Even uh, Keith's first week or two on the job, it was still Riley CC in the top pairing, and we heard that Dubis quote about how, "Oh, I can't believe you know every, every time you yeah referendum," and his expected goals numbers are good. Since that tweet, he's last on the team in expected goals. Just fun yeah. fact. So I mean, I I don't think he's been worse than I expected I think he's been maybe a little bit above what I expected just because I had such low expectations but I do want to change there I I do want to use that cap space differently Um, you know it's nice to have someone that can penalty kill on this roster especially if Tyson Berry and and some rookies there right now Um, but ultimately I want I mean I think he's a better puck mover than Zaitsev but that's not really saying much so uh, I do want a better puck mover there Um, let's go to to Ian's favorite player we'll start with, we'll start with Ian on this one. Where did you have Travis Dermott? Oh my God, this one hurt me so much. Um, so you know how much I love Travis Dermott. And I think because I think so highly of him, I have really high expectations for him. I gave him a D plus just because I think wow. I think he's so much better than what he's been this season. And I think he's been pretty good this season, you know, because he's Travis Dermott. He plays that super tight gap in the neutral zone and he doesn't let you 
attack him off the rush because you don't have any space and you have to dump it in. His gap in the neutral zone is fantastic. It's always been fantastic. It's part of the reason I love Travis Dermott. But he's really struggled with his puck moving this year, I think, compared to his first two years in the league. And I think a lot of people were hoping that by this point of the year, he would have moved his way into the top four and been a legitimate defenseman that you can trust in that situation. He hasn't proven it yet. Now, I think he has a chance to prove it over this next month. And I think... On the top pairing, there have been some ups and downs, uh, more downs than ups, I would argue, but I do think that he's a defenseman with a lot of talent that can thrive in a top four situation. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that you would love having out there against top competition, but I think in more of a sheltered second pairing kind of situation, I think he'd be great. Oddly enough, I like the idea of a Dermot Hall second pairing, if you could get a Riley Muzzin top pairing to work, but I know they're hesitant about putting Riley in his offside, so... I don't know, with Dermott, I love him. I think he has high upside. I think he could be a number two or number three defenseman if he hit his absolute peak, his absolute potential. But he's been playing more like a bottom-pairing defenseman this year, I think, when you look at his puck moving compared to what we all expect. And I want to see more from him personally. Nick, where'd you have him? Yeah, I have him a little bit higher. I have him at C+. Uh, but really, my beliefs are kind of similar to that, to what Ian said just now. I think that a lot of us expected him to take a huge step this year, especially from looking at his on-ice metrics last year, there was a point in time, I think it was the first half of the season, where no matter who was on the ice with Travis Dermott, the Leafs were benefiting from him on the ice. And everyone had positive uh, shot differential when they were playing with Travis Dermott, when he was on that third pairing. Now, some of that's context because of the sheltered minutes he gets, but also he's just doing so many things that help tilt the ice in his team's favor. Exactly, yeah. And, And this year, I feel like he's... I don't want to say he's taking a step back, but I just don't think he's taking that step forward that we all expected. Now that he's in that top four, um, in that top four role, he last year was able to really escape the uh, the incoming four checker really well. That's something that he does really well. This year, it doesn't feel like he's, I don't know if it's just he's, he's missing a step or what, but it feels like he's had a lot more trouble uh, coming back into his own zone when there's been dump-ins um, and kind of using his legs and his skating and his his uh, passing to kind of elude those incoming four-checkers. That's a big part that I think has kind of stagnated on him. I think he's still very good in the neutral zone. Uh, this week he had a very good game where he had a, a number of step-ups and him and Hall together, I love watching them together just because of how many pucks they are how many dump ins they force it is so difficult to to gain the line on them even if it's a three on two so i mean he's kind of playing above that what he should be playing right now just due to injuries but um it'll be interesting going forward just because if the leafs are going to keep up sandine and they already have muzzin and riley when healthy it kind of seems like dermot is going to be the guy that would have to switch the right side and i mean a lot of things can change going forward but I think Dermott's second half of the season could get interesting, especially if they want to move him to that right side. How about a Muzzin-Hall top pair against top competition and then a Riley-Dermott kind of offensive zone, more sheltered minutes where they can take over offensively? I'm in. That's, I think we've talked about that, yeah. And, and But it's also interesting because you'd also want to give Barry those sheltered minutes too. So, But I love, I love Riley-Dermott. Let me get my Dermott right, grade in here before we get to Barry. So with with Dermot, I gave him B minus. I was the nicest on on Dermot. Start the year, I, I think he was a bit disappointing coming back from injury, of course. So I give him a bit of an excuse there. But as Ian said, he didn't really break into the top four or really, you know, even under even when the coaching change happened, I think some people thought he might get top four minutes and he just didn't. So I, I don't think 
You know, I don't know if his, his play really uh, dictated a move up to the top four, but uh, I look at his expected goals numbers, and I'm pretty impressed because he, he's basically the best defenseman on the team in terms of expected goals. Yeah, he's playing worse competition until recently, but he's also playing that with Cody. He's also doing that with Cody CC. So I was pretty amazed just based on how many minutes he played that he still had good numbers with Cody CC. So I bumped him up to a B minus. I, I think that's a, a modern day miracle. So uh, Ian, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of hope there on, on your go-to guy. Really appreciate it, man. That's, that's all I'm asking for. Perfect. But now it's going to get a bit more. I don't know. We'll see. Nick, actually, Ian, I'll, I'll let you start here. Tyson Barry, where did you have him? This is going to be the part where I really piss off a lot of people. Um, so Uh-oh. under Mike Babcock, I don't know how you can give him anything other than an F because it was an unmitigated disaster. It just it didn't work. And he was being asked to do things that he wasn't good at, like, you know, defend or <laughs> uh, even jumping up into the play. He wasn't doing it as much. He wasn't, you know, skating the puck end to end as much. He wasn't even on the top unit power play. He was being asked to be this kind of secondary defensive piece, which he just we all know that's not what Tyson Berry is. He needs to be that dynamic offensive creator who has the puck on his stick all the time. I think under Sheldon Keith, he's done a Decent job of that, but I still think he can be better. I know that his points are good. I know that his expected goals numbers are good. But I feel like the context of those minutes matters because I think he spent a lot of his time with Austin Matthews, William Nylander and company, Mitch Marner, in offensive situations where they weren't being asked to go up against the other team's better players. And I think he crushed those minutes. I'm wondering how much of that was because of the plays that he specifically was making because I haven't loved his puck moving as much as I did in Colorado. I haven't loved his offensive zone play as much as I did in Colorado. I haven't loved his play on the power play as much as I did in Colorado. There's a common theme here. The player that he was in Colorado, I really enjoyed watching, and I got to see him a few nights and his talent and just how confident he looked with the puck, some of the plays he was willing to make. You look at the first game he played in a Leafs uniform in the regular season— I want more of that Tyson Berry because I know it exists and I haven't seen it yet this year. Yeah, I, I'm going to come back to you on Berry in a sec because I think you raised a few good points there. But Nick, get your uh, Tyson Berry grade in here quick. Yeah, I'll be quick here. Uh, with Berry, I gave him a C. I think based on expectations, I I think we all knew what he could do offensively. And I mean, I'm not even going to really kind of comment on the Babcock part he was playing like Ian said he was playing a role that he really shouldn't have but under Keefe he he has been playing quite well uh to an extent now I'll say that offensively the numbers have shown up but I'm just not a big fan of that Riley Berry uh pairing I know that the the metrics do kind of show that they have played quite well and the Leafs have benefited when they're on the ice but I just feel like I'm, I'm tired of seeing two-on-ones and one of my biggest against the Leafs and one of my biggest pet peeves about watching Barry uh, when I was watching him this summer, some of his Colorado play, I felt like he stepped up in the play way too often. And that's something that's carried out, carried out uh, this year with the Leafs. And especially since Keefe came in, I think that he's almost encouraging Riley and Barry to play their style. But when they're together, it feels like sometimes they're always jumping up in the play. And it's led to a lot of odd man rushes the other way. So if the, he could just control and kind of pick his spots a little bit better, I think that it would help the Leafs a lot, and especially help himself. And I think it's part of the reason he's actually looked pretty good now that he's on a pairing with Marincin, because now Barry is just the guy. You know, he's going to be jumping up on every single play, and that's when he's at his best. He's terrible when he has to be the defensive guy. 
and Morgan Riley, it's the same thing. If Morgan Riley's jumping up into the play along the wall, you know, making passes into the slot, Morgan Riley's really good at that. When you ask Morgan Riley to defend a two-on-two rush or a, a two-on-one, he's not very good at that. So I almost feel like Riley and Barry shouldn't be on the ice at the same time just because they have the exact same skill set. And it's part of the reason, even though the numbers were good, I never loved that Riley-Barry combination. I'm with you. I'm with you. I gave him a C. I think you look at his partners in Colorado, like you said, like Nemeth, Ian Cole. I mean, they weren't always great partners, but they were more the stay-at-home type. And I've liked him more with Marinson, where, you know, kind of set roles there. Um, not that I, you know, I, I prefer if it's Muzzin, but the problem is, is that you need Muzzin in a, in a top pairing role for top competition. So uh, I don't really like that Riley Berry pairing. We're not going to see it for a while, of course, but I, I don't want to see it come playoff time. It just scares me, especially when you can't control the matchups. Uh, I know he's had a good expected goals percentage under Keefe. Uh, I don't know how much of that is, is just playing with Dermot. I think that's part of it. Uh, he's playing with him for a bit. Uh, I don't know how much of that is just, you know, playing with Matthews, playing with Tavares, uh, playing a ton of offensive zone starts. He's still pretty sheltered under Keefe. I think, you know, Keefe, just like Babcock, knows his skill set. Um, and, you know, coming into the year, I looked at things like RAPM, and I saw that he was really bad defensively. You know, I, I knew he was below average defensively, but I gave him a little bit more credit. Uh, now, I, I, I just, it, it's tough to say if he's bad defensively or horrendous defensively, because he is weak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he's more of a fourth forward out there. Um, and, you know, you look at what Colorado did with, with Makar. Um, like, Makar comes in, they have Samuel Gerrard. All of a sudden, they don't really have as much of a need for Barry. And, and, you know, they trade him for a really good piece. And and they traded him at peak value right after he put up a bunch of points in the power play. That's a smart thing to do. Peak, peak value to uh, an unfortunate team there. But... Um, you know, I'm looking at the Leafs right now and I'm saying, you know, I, I like Lilligren. I think he's ready. I like Sandine. I think he's ready. Uh, I think Barry's almost like a DH in baseball where it's like, you know, it's, it's an easy position to play, that sheltered position. Uh, I do think he provides more value with Riley out, but, you know, I really want the Leafs to go out and acquire a shutdown defenseman and a good one. And I think Tyson Barry, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, trading him for a first round pick and flipping that for a shutdown defenseman. I think it's a little bit out there, but uh, the point shots on the power play drive me nuts. He, I just find him frustrating in terms of defensive play. I think he's kind of what the Leafs are, where you know you get good offense, but you know horrendous defense at times. Uh, Ian, did you say you had him at a C? Uh, Barry? Yeah. Yeah, I had him a C plus uh, post uh, Babcock firing. So I don't know F before C plus after. You can combine them if you want, but I don't know. We don't have to include the Babcock grade because. Let's be honest, that wasn't Tyson Berry at all. Yeah, I just get, like, if I'm an opposing team in free agency, I'm scared to sign Berry now because it's like, if I don't have the right coach, is he going to be that Babcock Berry? Um, so I'd be a little bit terrified. I, I think even for the Leafs with Keefe, I'm still terrified of re-signing him uh, just because you're paying for points, and, you know, part of that's just power play time. Um, we're, and I guess let's get into Riley. I know you don't like the Riley-Berry pairing, neither do I. Uh, where did you have Morgan Riley in? Uh, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I think Morgan Riley's been bad this year. I don't I think he's looked like Morgan Riley, and I think a lot of it is he's, he's been hurt. So it's unfair to, for us to assess a player who's clearly playing through an injury that he shouldn't be playing through. And I don't understand why they gave him so many minutes early in the season, the first month or two, when it was clear that he was ailing and that you could just give more minutes to Muzzin and Dermot and give Riley a few nights off here. But 
they didn't feel like doing it. I love Riley offensively. I think defensively he's atrocious and he never gets enough criticism for it in this market compared to how a player like Jake Gardner got so much criticism. And I'm thinking, hey, if we're going to criticize Jake Gardner for being brutal at defending two-on-ones and making bad mistakes, we can admit that Morgan Riley's really bad defensively and we've never liked admitting that because he's such a great guy. And I love Morgan Riley too. He seems like a great guy, but... He's not good at defending the rush. And in the NHL, that's where most of the goals happen. And on a three-on-three or on a three-on-two, he's not good at picking the right man and taking away the pass through the middle of the ice. For such a fast skater, his gap control is still terrible. And it it makes no sense to me. I I don't get how you can't coach that into someone. So with Riley, I gave him a C-. And again, with the caveat that he is hurt, and this obviously isn't, you know, peak Morgan Riley like we saw last year, but... I just I feel like considering all of his physical tools, he should be a much better player, and he drives me nuts defensively. And I know that you know the pros outweigh the cons when he's healthy. He hasn't been healthy this year, and I think we're starting to see that those cons when he plays the Cody Cece, it's like, oh wow, Morgan Riley's really bad defensively, and it's, it's no, he's always been bad defensively. It's just now he doesn't have Ron Hainsey cleaning up his mess. He has Cody Cece, who's also bad defensively. Oh, big Ron Hainsey shout out there, Nick. Where did, where did you have him? I was similar to Ian. I had him at a C minus. Yeah, again, I'm the bad cop here, but I gave him a D plus, and I felt really bad with this one. Oh, wow. I know. I felt really bad about this one just because he. I'm all here for it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just because he has been injured, and I feel like I've kind of given him a lot of trouble online. Not like he really cares, but uh, and then once I found out that he was he had an injury all year, I felt bad, but. Yeah, a lot of similar stuff to what Ian said. I mean, his gap control hasn't been good. Uh, It's never really been good. But uh, also, I feel like a big thing that I've noticed this year is when teams dump the puck on the Leafs and and Morgan Riley's the first one back there, his ability to escape kind of depends on his legs. And he's done a very good job in past years of kind of using his legs to get out of those slippery situations. And he's able to, to orchestrate a zone exit kind of by himself. And this year... I feel like he hasn't had that same jump in his step. So it's caused him to kind of move the puck, whether that's along the boards. And, and not to say he's not a good puck mover, but it's it's not really his primary way to deal with those types of situations. So He's a better skater than he is a passer. For sure. Exactly, yeah. So it's it's caused a lot of turnovers, and it's caused Morgan Riley to be spending more time in his own end. And as we know, that doesn't usually equate to good things so i gave him a d plus but i wasn't happy about it yeah i don't blame you i mean as ian said i think part of it's health but you know he did have high expectations came in with a 72 point year last year i think we all knew he wasn't going to repeat that that was pretty insane that year but uh you know i just the, the the defense has been rough and you know if he was on the same playing field as gardner i think you know it's a different story in terms of riley i think being Canadian helps. I think the fact that he's, you know, a, a bit bigger in, ter- in terms of weight, I think that helps. People think he's better defensively than he is, and the fact that he pe- kills penalties on, on the second penalty kill at least. Um, but, you know, the, the defense has been rough. Can I give you guys a hot take? What's that? Can I give you guys a hot take for the end of this podcast? Let's go. Just that'll help this blow up. Um, I think at least should trade Morgan Riley this offseason. Uh-oh. because I don't think there's a player that they have right now that is more overrated around the league than Morgan Riley, just because of the points that he's put up in the past and the way he's thought about it in the city as this number one defenseman. And even though he's an assistant, he's really the leader in the locker room. And I know that 
Kyle Dubas would say, oh, you know, if you haven't worked for a team, then you're not going to, you know, you just, you can't do that. And that's what he said with the JVR trade. And I still disagree. I still think, no, you can make the right business decision for your team, even if it upsets a few people. And when the Raptors traded DeMar DeRozan, did it make Kyle Lowry happy? No, he was pissed off with Masai Ujiri. I don't think he talked to him for a few weeks. But if you do the right thing for your team in the long run, that's what's going to help you win a championship. So I don't know. I think if you trade Morgan Raleigh this offseason, what can you get for him? I think you can get a fair bit. And then if you use that to help you out on the right side of your defense, re-sign Jake Muzzin, and then have Dermot and Sandine on the left side for the next couple of years on cheap contracts... I think that's the best way to build this roster long term. And I think if you asked about what the biggest criticisms are at the Leafs, it's the fact that their defensive struggles are a big deal. Who's playing big minutes for the Leafs and playing poorly defensively? It's Morgan Riley. So I don't know. I just think that if you look at the way that he's thought about around the league and the value that he actually provides when he's on the ice, I think there's a big disconnect there, much like there was with DeMar DeRozan. And I think it would make sense to cash in on it as soon as possible. Yeah, I think it's interesting because... Uh, I mean, we talked about it a bit last week, and when you look at that left side, they do have guys that are able to kind of step in. They do have Sandine and Dermot and Muzzin, obviously. So that next contract isn't going to be very pretty. So I'm definitely here for that hot take. I'm, I'd be crying, but I think Ian's got a pretty good point there. We're going to need another, you know, another podcast or another two podcasts to break that one down, Ian. So thanks for that, Ian. Well, now people are going to get mad at me. I figure people are always like looking to get mad at me, so I got to give them some kind of ammunition. You know, I got to feed the trolls a little bit here. Yeah, perfect, perfect way to go out. We won't do Sandine. We'll have to come have you back for for another one soon. We need a bigger sample size there. I think I yeah. don't have a full grade on him at the NHL level yet. Sandine, Marinson, Lilligren only played one game. Uh, Kevin Gravel, we won't we won't bug you for Kevin Gravel grade. <laughs> I had a good grade for Marincin. I had a 51% with him because I don't want to see him next year. And Oh, wait, no, he's he's going to be in the class again next year. He, he might be a Marlin. <laughs> he might be a Marlin. We might be seeing He's on a league minimum that. contract. It literally doesn't matter. He'll yeah. be, what, a number eight defenseman? You can live with whatever he is. You can live with it at, at 700,000. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. He always finds his way back on the team, though, so don't sleep on him just yet. <laughs> I think he'll lead the team in nights in the press box next season would be my bet. If they if they win the cup, I think he's going to be the second guy to win the cup. That's who Tavares is passing it to. But uh, Ian, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> Ian, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, we we'll see how your uh, grades go if they get as much criticism as as you used to. Um, yeah, and if uh, if people want to check out more of my terrible grades and my terrible opinions, which I've accepted at this point, I've accepted that I'm going to be wrong more often than I'm right, but. Um, I do the post-game Leafs report cards at the Athletic after every game this season. Myrtle asked me, he's like, hey, do you think you could do like you know most of the games this year? And in the off-season, I was an idiot. I said, yeah, no, I'll just do all of them. I'll do all 82. <laughs> and then I start realizing when some of these games are, and I'm thinking, oh, shit, like I, New Year's Eve? Like, what? <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you got you to... Gotta, they're paying me to do it. It's a job. You got to find a way to fight through, and... I've been finding a way this season. There are some nights where I feel like I put a lot more effort in than some of the Leafs do. So Yeah, and we appreciate just... that. They're awesome. So you can also find <laughs> Ian on the Staff and Graph podcast. You can find him on the Leafs Geeks podcast eventually. We're, uh, we're hoping you bring Theo back at some point for one of those. And uh... I finally rebooted it. The Dmitry Filipovich podcast should be released today, so it should be out there right now. Jeez. You're going to have the, the most podcast for 60, I think, in, uh, in Toronto. Oh, definitely. 
But uh, thanks for coming on. Of course, you can check out Ian at uh, The Athletic Toronto. You can He's at Ian Graff on Twitter. Uh, I think everyone knows where to find Ian, but just in case you've been living under a rock, uh, there it is. Ian, again, thanks for having us. Or I guess... Thanks for joining us, not having I was going to say, I'm hopping on your I podcast, know, I'm used to coming man, on but I, I should bring you guys on the Leafs Geeks podcast. I've, I've had Kevin on the past. I don't think I've had Nick yet, but you two have always been two of my favorite Leafs writers out there. I feel like if I ever started my own version of The Athletic for like Toronto and I needed to get some kind of Leafs bloggers who saw the game in an interesting way and were always finding a way to integrate analytics into their analysis, but also had a really good eye test that could see things like gap control and puck moving under pressure or the fact that Andreas Janssen is excellent at getting open. I think those are just such good observations, and I think you guys are awesome at it. So keep up the great stuff, guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much. And uh, we thank Ian for coming on. Nick, thanks for uh, your, your grades here. Thanks for being the nice teacher. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.